0: Hello, dear friends, and happy new year. Happy 2021. Thank you for tuning into Love Service Wisdom again, or perhaps for the first time. I'm glad that you found me. Or if you've been listening often, I so appreciate your support. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just knowing you guys are out there listening means a lot to me because these podcasts are fun for me and a way for me to be creative and feel like I'm connecting outside of my home here in Boise, Idaho, since we don't have travel or much travel going on, we do have this, we do have the benefits of technology. And one of the main benefits is, like I just said, connecting and getting to experience all different kinds of learning over over Zoom and over the internet and in these courses, this past year in 2020, I did so many different trainings. I trained with Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy. I trained with Thomas Hubel, that training I'm still in now. I trained with um, Govindas and Radha for harmonium training. I trained with Sheila Bringy and Brent Cougar for Luminous Voice and harmonium training. And I trained also with the Polaris Insight Center for ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. And my guest on our podcast today is Veronica Gold. She's one of the lead trainers from the training that I took back in the fall on ketamine-assisted therapy, a work that I got into this summer. And it was such a delight to speak to Veronica um, one-on-one after taking her training and seeing her in a, um, another panel discussion that I viewed earlier in the summer that got me informed of her work. She is a psychologist from the Czech Republic and a licensed marriage and family therapist in California and has expertise in the treatment of anxiety, depression, and PTSD She's the co-founder and CEO of the Polaris Insight Center in San Francisco, a clinic that provides ketamine-assisted psychotherapy treatment, and she's also a co-founder and trainer at the Polaris Institute for Advanced Psychedelic Studies and Consultation. She's a sub-investigator and a co-therapist at the San Francisco Insight Center and Integration Center, a site that participates or is participating in phase 3 of the MDMA assisted psychotherapy clinical trial clinical trial for the treatment of PTSD that's sponsored by MAPS. She as well serves as an associate supervisor for the European MAPS clinical trials and the expanded access program. She's also an EMDR therapist, a consultant a volunteer facilitator for EMDR, humanitarian assistance programs, and she's a certified somatic experiencing practitioner, an organic intelligence expert, and a realization process teacher. She's passionate about the exploration of consciousness and the future possibility of using psychedelic medicines for personal growth and development. So... You can see why I fell in love with her and so enjoyed our conversation. She's someone that's deeply in the field of merging, of emerging psychedelic therapies. And we had a wonderful conversation about the MDMA trials she's involved in now, psychedelic therapy, and the process or ability to find reconnection through expanded states of consciousness. So you'll hear from Veronica in this show. You can find more about her at veronicagold.com. That's B-E-R-O-N-I-K-A-G-O-L-D.com. So Veronica with a K or the Polaris Insight Center, polarisinsight.com. And I'm just about to start my goodness. I think it's fifth. Ketamine assisted therapy group here in Boise, Idaho. Today's January 5th. This will probably come out like on the 7th, but I'm beginning my second, or no, sorry, like my fifth group on January 11th. If you happen to hear this between now and then and you're interested in joining group ketamine assisted therapy, send me a message. And uh, we'll talk about it because I've got a couple spots left. They're small group settings, COVID safe, we wear a mask, and they meet twice a week for three weeks. So six sessions um, in a group setting that give you the ability to tune into those deeper non-ordinary states that really helps with kind of, uh, with um, depression, anxiety. PTSD, OCD, different mental health disorders, such as that. And, you know, I don't know if I've shared with you guys too much about my journey into becoming someone who works with ketamine therapy, but I began the process in November 2019 and then reached out to the Boise Ketamine Clinic here in town. Nicole Bailey, she's the CRNA who runs the clinic and just introduced myself and let her know that I was interested in offering ketamine assisted therapy and could we work together and what are her thoughts on it? And I'd love to get to know her, etc. cetera. And she was incredibly kind and gracious and open, open and supportive. And I was planned, scheduled to do the Ketamine Training Institute's five-day training in upstate New York in April, 2020. And Nicole and I were going to begin working together more closely after that. And then of course it got canceled with everything else um, this past year and it didn't happen. But Nicole and I began working together anyways, seeing me seeing groups there and individual clients for ketamine therapy. And then that's when I found... Work that Veronica was doing and the training offering through the Polaris Insight Center, and figured I might as well, you know, even though I'm doing it, continue to learn and study and network and grow. So, I took um, three different modules with her and her team over there and learned a lot this fall. And it's, you know, it's, a, it's certainly frontier work where it's being developed as we're doing it. So, just going slowly with it. And having a lot of patience and grace and thus far seeing a lot of benefit for the patients, the clients who are able to receive the work. So I could talk about it for a long time. That's how I'll talk about it for now. I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to work with clients in such a really deep, profound way That like I said, seems to elicit a lot of deep growth or relief from suffering from some of those mental health disorders that um, have seemed to be resisting treatment in other ways. So we'll see how this develops in the coming year. You can find more about the work that I do on my website too, marissaradacom backslash ketamine or just look up ketamine therapy when you go to my site. And again, thanks everybody for tuning in. I wish you the happiest, happiest transition into the new year. May you be feeling space, grounding, gratitude, and presence. And may we continue to slow down, use more discernment, be at choice, and have more compassion for ourselves, one another, our relationships, and community as we continue to learn and grow through this new time. And here you are, Veronica Gold. Hi, Veronica. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast or this evening, I should say. And I feel really grateful because I know you're very busy and a bit of a powerhouse, at least in my world. That's how I see you. And so I'm just grateful that you're sharing some time with me and my listeners. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here and looking
1: forward to our conversation.
0: Yeah. You have such a a wonderfully rich background in therapy and psychotherapy and Counseling, psychedelic therapy, EMDR, and uh, the somatic training that you do and work with couples and work with individuals and your teacher as well, and work with maps also. And then you have the Polaris Insight Center. And you even have a dog named Chloe, which I do also. I read that in your bio. I've got a sweet <laughs> Chloe, and you've got a sweet Chloe. And and um, yeah, so congrats on everything that you do. Thank you for all that you contribute.
1: Oh, thank you, Mary. said it's a, a, wonderful pleasure and a privilege to be able to do this work, and it's kind of my lifelong passion of understanding ourselves and human suffering and supporting others and. So it's been a long path, kind of as you were naming all the different things I've done throughout my life, I think through, you know, looking for my own healing and way of supporting others. And I feel um, so fortunate how it has been developing and love the work I'm doing right now. And um, so I work in the MDMA clinical trials and providing ketamine-assisted psychotherapy and training and training. Um, um, Very excited and and happy for my dog, Chloe, to be able to be a co-therapist in my session.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And are you working from home mostly now because of COVID?
1: Yes, it's been a big shift since um, last March. And it was kind of amazing to see that it was possible to shift a lot of this work online that I couldn't have imagined before. And so I do uh, provide ketamine-assisted psychotherapy online, and I do EMDR online and somatic therapy online. But I as well uh, see clients in person about one day a week. Okay. I go to the office as I have some some clients who who come for uh, sessions that need to be done in person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. We had a little break in the clinical trial with the MDMA study and we are just restarting again with uh, much more consideration because of
0: COVID-19. Much more consideration as far as protocol with the clients? Yeah,
1: exactly. Around safety and around, you know, kind of thinking about things that could happen, um, you know, like if 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 the... Uh, participant get sick or if the therapists would get sick or if there was a shutdown and we had to pause the study. So uh, really kind of in the way of of uh, selecting people for the clinical trial and in the process of the um, consent for the trial, kind of really considering all these mm. possibilities that uh, could happen and then some adjustments for the meeting, you know, and right. really having safety and precautions in the sessions.
0: Because so with the clinical trials, with the MDMA-assisted therapy, you're seeing a client or client several times?
1: Yeah. So the clinical trials, um, the treatment itself is about three to four months long. And then there is a period of enrollment, which might take anywhere from a few weeks up to six or eight weeks. And so there are a lot of uh, testing and physical tests uh, to make sure that the person's healthy to go into the trial. Mm -hmm. And then during the trial, we do three day-long sessions where they receive MDMA or placebo, and then they stay overnight at the clinic and have an integration session next morning. Uh, But as well, between those experiential sessions, there are always three 90-minute sessions for preparation, preparation and integration, preparation, integration and integration. So it's um, um, really a wraparound kind of process of preparation, experiential sessions and integration. Mm -hmm. And um, so the protocol is about three to four months
0: long. And do you imagine when that rolls out for the public, it would be a similar protocol?
1: I imagine that the the the, the aspects of the preparation and integration sessions will be similar. Mm-hmm. And the day-long sessions right now, um, people are staying overnight with us for the next day. And that, you know, there are some sites that are doing the trial where people go home. And so I imagine that might be different. And as well, you know, it's not clear how many sessions would be recommended. So there had to be a set amount of sessions for the clinical trial, which was chosen to be three. Uh, But it might be that some clients will come for less than three sessions. And there might be some who... uh, Will come for more than three sessions, mm-hmm. so I think we've seen both of those in in the phase two um, well, part of, this is you know second phase of the clinical trial where um, some people felt like they wanted to do more sessions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there was you know the restraint of the trial so that wasn't possible and so I imagine once it is available um, in clinics that uh, that would be individualized to what the individual clients
0: need. Mm -hmm. I'm curious too, in the clinical setup, what is it that you're doing with the clients to help them with the potential depletion that can sometimes be seen after MDMA? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, we actually haven't seen it as much in the clinical trials. And what we are thinking about is that um, th- there is a, you know, a lot of people take MDMA recreationally right. and it's going to be, you know, really social drug, but then, uh, you know, people go out and they dance and they might not dr- drink enough electrolytes or maybe the medicines mixed with some other drugs, or maybe they combine drugs in the night. So there is this kind of overall depletion or exhaustion that contributes to the surgeon in depletion. And Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, in the clinical trial, we actually haven't really seen that. We've been looking at, you know, how people feel the few days and week after, Um, but as well, because in these sessions, people are coming for treatment of uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorders. They talk about Um, you know, really difficult things, maybe things they haven't, you know, talked about in the same way with anyone before. And so there is this kind of expected uh, time of integration right after the session. And so what we do is that we uh, have a phone call set up with them for every day after the session and checking in and talking about how they're doing. And um, some people might continue processing. And so it's, it's uh, not clear that Mm -hmm. this is, just the effect of the of the of the medicine, but as well kind of the effect of the process they go through. And so some people might feel relieved and and you know really positive, while some people might feel tired, some people might be grieving. Um, mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of we're thinking about really encouraging people to take time for recovery after they do this deep work with the medicine.
0: What kind of recovery are you suggesting?
1: Yeah. So things like taking care of themselves, you know, eating well, sleeping well, um, being in nature, uh, avoiding situations that might be triggering if possible, you know, not talking to people maybe from their past who might, you know, there might be some unresolved issues or, um, kind of protecting that space of their own healing and, and, you know, we explore together what that might look like, you know, for mm-hmm. someone, it might be listening to music for someone dancing, for someone doing yoga or um, stretching for someone taking a bath or journaling, um, you know, for someone it might be being with friends and um, family or kids. So it's, it's very individual, but in a way of protecting the space and taking time for themselves. Mm -hmm. So uh, Mm -hmm. not going into a busy day of work or, um, you know, connecting with someone who might be a difficult (laughs) person for them. And,
0: And then on the experience, I'm curious, I know it's held in a space of talk therapy, let's say, right? And so as someone who has PTSD and they're using the medicine to help heal those traumas, they're opening up about their issues, which you already probably have an idea about because of the intake and prep sessions, right? And then what, mm-hmm. could you give an example of what you're seeing with clients during the experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so,
1: you know, the, the process is um, kind of held in more like a ceremonial space or, or um, you know, kind of as this special day they're coming to. So they're preparing for this day through, you know, the time we meet with them through the day, from the day they call in and they're interested in this treatment and through the preparation sessions. And so when they come for the day, we um usually start with uh setting up an intention for the session and then each therapist worked differently. So um I uh and we work in a co-therapy team. So in the MDMA clinical trial we work uh as a couple so two to two therapists together. Um, so I work with um three different uh partners but with with one of them I work most of the time Harvey. Uh, Schwartz who is as well my colleague at Polaris and so we start you know with kind of clearing the space and we use um, sage or rosemary or uh, aerosol water something that the person resonates with to kind of shift from that ordinary space into the space of the working with the medicine and then throughout the day the focus of the work is kind of shifting between inner and outer focus. So Mm -hmm. there are periods of time when they take eye shades on, put on headphones and are lying down and are really staying with their internal experience. And then, you know, maybe every half an hour, every 40 minutes they come out and then they share with us what's coming up for them. And so we, you know, invite them to go both share with us and do more kind of like a talk therapy and processing and then Mm -hmm. have internal time. And so it doesn't always look like that. Some people, you know, really want to share more and some people like to stay inside more. And the main guiding principle for us in the work is trusting the inner healing intelligence, the innate capacity to heal. And so that we trust that the, the that we can follow the process that's kind of unfolding for the client, for the participant with the medicine. And so that we try to put aside any kind of expectation or way of thinking how exactly it should go or how the healing should look like. And so even though they're coming in with a specific trauma they want to work on, it might not come up for a big part of the session because of the clinical trial, we have an agreement that we'll bring the the this kind of an incident or a traumatic event up once if they don't bring it up themselves. So if they don't bring it up and, you know, <clears throat> maybe they're processing other things from their life, we might um, bring that up as, as you know, in, in a maybe second half of the session and see what comes up for them when they start thinking about it. And um, so there is kind of this this dance and following what, what is coming up. And, and sometimes we do more somatic work. Sometimes we do more talk therapy. Um, and, you know, the, the day is, it's a long day. It's like eight or nine hours. And then yeah. it kind of comes to this more ending where people can stay there for, for the night and kind of stay with, you know, the process kind of in that safe space of the of the clinic.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask if you we use somatic practices or breath practices during the journey in order to free energy or get things moving or to go deeper? Have you found that you're doing that?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, so we use, we kind of uh, um, use breath in a way of, um, you know, two different ways. So one way could be when person is kind of coming in and maybe they feel some anxiety so they can use breath to, just kind of ground or settle in and help you know connect with themselves as they're going into the journey. But in the other way, how we use breath is to connect with something that's coming up. So we, you know, oftentimes say like breathe into that, like breathe into the feeling that's coming up or breathe into the sensation that is coming up to help them to go deeper into what is already unfolding um, and. We might offer bodywork. Um, we, you know, there are different um, different therapists are trained in different ways. Um, but one of the ways we trained in the MDMA training was uh Groves' bodywork, mm-hmm. um, kind of that Stengrove developed for holotropic breath work and is um, kind of deepening the connection with whatever's coming up. So it might you know look more like a deep work or pushing. Um, against something against, you know, the other person's hand or against a pillow. Um, but, you know, there are other types of somatic work that are really uh, compatible with this work. So, um, you know, somatic experiencing or so- sensory motor therapy, um, some Hakomi practices. So mm-hmm. I think that there is a space for the therapist and their training to kind of bring that into the session, if it seems like that that it will support the process.
0: Yeah, I have found personally working, you know, with ketamine assisted therapy, working in the psychedelic space, that I'm grateful to have a lot of different tools that I can bring in because you never know where it's going to go. You never know what's going to come up, even though you think that you might with a certain client it usually, it doesn't unfold in a certain way. And so the ability to pull okay. from these different modalities, it seems to be really helpful, really helpful. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great to hear that you share that experience, that it's compatible and you can kind of bring that in and and see if that is helpful. And, um, you know, I think that... that you know, the, the way how we in the Western world look at trauma and healing trauma has been, you know, shifting and developing and that it is now rather accepted that, you know, are no, kind of understood that the trauma is held in the body and so mm-hmm. that, you know, we cannot process and integrate um, traumatic experiences with without including the body and 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 work somatically. And it, it can mean working with touch or it just can mean with noticing the sensations and what's uh, happening in a person's body, but that it's internal part of the healing process.
0: Yeah, it seems so obvious, right? When you look at it from a larger vision that of course it's not all up in our consciousness and our mind in this sort of invisible place that who we are in our history and our traumas and our life is stored in the cells in the prana and the body. And that that's what gets activated mm-hmm. and that our body is an intelligent organism. That's giving us information all of the time. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That mm-hmm. there is this always giving us exactly as you're saying, information of what's happening and that, there this trauma, there can be experiences that can kind of shift this internal perception of safety. Mm -hmm. So that without these uh, experiences in the past, the body would be able to give us a signal that everything is okay, that we are safe, um, and that it will signal when there is danger or when there is something to be um, kind of aware of. And when the, the the these kind of unresolved incidents or traumatic events are stored in the body, as well, the signaling of the body can be disrupted, and so people might not be able to feel safe even in, when they are in a safe place. Or the body might read certain signals as, you know, warnings, and 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 um, you know, we'll call them triggers for mm-hmm. for the person not to feel safe.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for many of us numbness, disconnection was our safety mechanism in traumatic events. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like I I'm just learning more about how when there's that numbness that's present that just even going into the awareness that I'm numb is a mm-hmm. gateway mm-hmm. into the mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So like numbness is one way of of survival or helping us to move through something what's difficult or what's too much to integrate in the moment so we can shut down, move away from that. And uh, so it's something what's important and necessary for our survival. And then it can as well be the way uh, and lead to, to the healing by being able to notice that Mm -hmm. and start connecting with that. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're doing the work with the clinical trials and they're in phase three now. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. And what exactly does phase three mean? mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so clinical trials for drug approval uh, have three phases where they're, you know, first really starting with just showing the safety of the drug. That's phase one. It's a very small sample uh, of participants. And then, and before that, they as well have to do, um, you know, unfortunately, trials with animals to show the safety of the drug. That's kind of how it still is. Um, And then the phase two is showing effectiveness, but on a smaller sample of participants. And so phase three is uh, really bringing larger amount of people to look at is the medicine still effective, you know, looking at the amount of the side effects and uh, MAPS, which is the organization that's sponsoring these clinical trials, um, has divided the phase three into actually two trials. So the phase three has two parts and the phase one has already finished and um, the results of that phase will be you know, published hopefully soon. Uh they've done all the analysis and the, the that that will come out um you know hopefully in the next few weeks. And now we are in the second phase of the phase three. And once the phase three is finished, they do analysis again of the results. And if the results are significant and um then the drug can be rescheduled and can be prescribed for, uh, you know, by by um, uh, physicians or, you know, it might be like a licensed facilities and physicians there for the treatment, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: and you know, of PTSD, and then might be able to be used and prescribed as well for off label use for other indications. So it's a it's a very exciting time. You know some some of the the, the the other two exciting things what has have happened is that these clinical trials have been assigned a designation of a breakthrough therapy which is something what's uh, quite unusual to, to for drug to have that and it's really that the results have been uh, so promising that the FDA wants to fast track it for approval so the mdma clinical trials got a designation And as well, last year, FDA approved a special program called Expanded Access Program, which um, will allow people who are not in the clinical trials to get this treatment um, by self-pay. So people will be able to pay for the treatment before it is uh, rescheduled. So that, that will as well start sometime next
0: year. And that would be at MAPS, that they could get their treatment. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there'll
1: be sites that are sponsored by MAPS.
0: Sites that are sponsored by um, So like by where MAPS. I
1: work, ours. exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Polaris yes. um, so Polaris could be one.
1: So Polaris could be one. The clinical trials are done through a different site that's called San Francisco Inside and Integration Center. And um, so that is a site which is sponsored by MAPS for the clinical trial. And what we share with Polaris is that all of us who started Polaris met through the MDMA clinical trials. So we, we went through the training of MAPS and, and, you know, there was about 12 of us. And five of us got together and decided to open Polaris and offer the ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. And so we, we, we have as well applied to be a site for the expanded access. And so it, it, it is possible in the future we would be able to, to do mm-hmm. that
0: what does it look like now, the cost for the expanded access treatment would be? Yeah, so I
1: really don't know. Uh, you know, I think there is uh, no uh, cause that's kind of being uh, given to the treatment by FDA so that it usually depends on the different sites. So you might have two different expanded access sites who will have a different cost of the treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about you know forty five and and I um, you know if if it was three sessions, uh, three sessions is it's about forty five hours of therapy with two therapists. So I think you could do you know calculation of that plus the space plus the prescriptions, what the cost might be. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's probably in tens of thousands of dollars, um, which might seem like a lot of money, but when we look at what is the cost of treatment that somebody who suffers versus PTSD, you know, gets, um, it's actually much higher. So, you know, people who suffer with, with PTSD and trauma and depression, you know, when we think about ketamine, it's, it's, you know, I think this cost effectiveness is similar, that it might look like a big cost front, but that, you know, it might be that people are in therapy. They're seeing a psychiatrist. They have multiple medications they're t- taking f- to control their symptoms, and they're on these medications for the, you know, many many years or even rest of their lives because they're treating the symptoms but not the underlying causes of 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 the of you know the the challenges they're having. And uh, it has been shown that as well trauma can contribute to developing other physical. Uh, diseases. So, uh, you know, kind of the ACE test, which was a test that's been uh, kind of done a few years ago, which was looking at the effects of childhood adverse events and how it correlates with physical uh, diseases in adulthood and, you know, alcoholism and anxiety and panic attacks, uh, asthma, cancer. So there was just shown this correlation. And so we can see that if we are able to help uh people heal these underlying um uh, causes of of trauma and heal the p t s d that even this kind of cause that seems like whoa, that's a lot of money is actually just a fraction of what it costs for the person to to suffer yeah this yeah. p t s d or depression
0: mm-hmm. it's fantastic, and i and it you know in addition it in you know how should i say this in my experience the giving people the opportunity to also experience a greater transpersonal sense of self is also priceless right mm-hmm. and that can affect so many behavioral emotional changes just from that experience of dipping into the ineffable Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely how the entering and experiencing these expanded states of consciousness can have an effect that maybe we cannot just measure you know Mm -hmm. and and um there are ways how uh, I think we can look at the effectiveness or, you know, effectiveness, how, uh, people don't, you know, what are their scores on the tests, but how well they, uh, are feel in their lives, how they're engaged with, with people in their life, with their community, how much they care about, uh, environment. And there has been actually shown studies that people change, um, their relationship to environment and to uh, politics through working with the medicines and expanding going into these expanded states of consciousness and mm-hmm. so um, definitely that's that's a, a really important part of of this and opportunity that um, we're not uh, ordinarily talking about
0: yeah. I was just listening yesterday while I was driving with the podcast to the podcast of Joe Rogan with Graham Hancock and Brian. I can't pronounce his last name, but it's like Mark Cazuto or something, who wrote the immortality key. Are you familiar with that? The book. No, the I immortality key that was written by this man, Brian M, I'm just gonna say, was his research on the roots of Christianity and how that was from a psychedelic experience that they hypothesized was some sort of fermented beer with ergo, which is like LSD, and that that was the mystery schools, Mm -hmm. that that was happening Mm -hmm. in the Greek Mm -hmm. cultures. And that was something that it seems from the podcast, I haven't read the book, but that was widely available as an initiatory experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: yeah beautiful it's really been in the last centuries that we've been kind of moving away from um using these medicines that's been part of our cultures for thousands and thousands of years mm-hmm. um it's a lot of uh um there's a lot of um, um, ways in 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 you know, thinking about like a sound healing and and using of medicines that there are a lot of uh, cravings and carvings sorry, carvings in the in, in the caves that they were found that um, of people using different sacraments and and medicines really as a part of this uh, ongoing ritual and being in the community and initiatory processes and transitions
0: mm-hmm Yeah, going back to the roots of almost all cultures all over the planets, it's hypothesized that all of them were using some form of altered state of consciousness and that it was at the heart of many of their societies and cultures. And it wasn't until the Greco-Roman period that it started to shift and everything got pushed underground, at least from the Anglo-Saxon point of view, it feels. And then so now the renaissance with it feels almost in many ways like a coming home, like a reconnecting to a part of herself that's always been there, that we've had a sort Mm. of intentional amnesia about. And it's, you know, these states of consciousness are within our own being. So to feel like exploring within our own being is something that we're told we can't do feels quite strange mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely something
1: that we can have access to through you know deep states of meditation and going within and variety of practices that it's not only psychedelic medicines totally but practices of fasting and dancing and entering into trance and Dreaming and it's um, really like living in 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 the Western world that that kind of distracts us from that. And then there are many beautiful medicines that support these states and allow us to go deep within and explore consciousness mm-hmm. and uh, um, entering into these mystical states. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, which I I mean, I would argue are an inherent human experience, like falling in love, Mm -hmm. being able to enter into a mystical state is also something that's very human, heartbreak, grief, all the ranges of emotion, but those mystical states that I mean, it feels like in the, I study, I'm I'm deeply immersed in yoga and yoga psychology and philosophy. And there's manas, the idea of like the lower mind, the instinctual mind, and then getting into a little bit of the higher mind, the buddhi mind, which is like discernment, choice, observation. And then above that as witness consciousness and the transpersonal states can often lead you right into the witness consciousness oneness place. And it feels like, a lot of what's happening in our, in our culture is this lower mind's takeover because that's where we're mostly residing. Because not only have we lost the practices that were maybe once with mind-altering substances, but also even just having more of the holistic practices we're needing to borrow from other cultures which is wonderful, at least we have them, meditation, yoga, for example, chanting, dancing, drumming, whatever it might be. Um, But the more that we're able to do those practices and get into those higher states of mind, what the result is, is when I look at you, I don't see your differences. I see how you're more similar to me. I see how we're connected.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. How can we enter into these higher states of consciousness, which are actually then bringing them into the the, the way of how we relate to each other and to the earth exactly. in the human body here.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Compassion. That's an easy one. That's the result of mm-hmm. a higher mm-hmm. level of consciousness mm-hmm. that the Buddhists always talk about connection to nature, care for the earth. The more I care for you, the more I care for the earth when I care for myself or when I'm caring for the earth, I'm caring for myself and vice versa. So it feels quite hopeful that at least that's where I get to optimistic in a way that these practices are finally becoming turning online again. And becoming more acceptable mm-hmm. and less taboo because for so long and still now, there's quite a lot of baggage that goes along with psychedelic, psychedelic mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. Do you find that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I've been you know thinking just kind of as you're talking about is what you mentioned before about is this connection or numbness. So kind of when we are more awakening and being more connected, that there is this more connection and caring and aliveness and flow that we can experience. And so we see, you know, with with people in the both MDMA study and in ketamine that um, ketamine treatment that that they report that their life continues to change beyond the time they're in the treatment. That having this experience or entering into these expanded states changes something in the way how they you know, what we hope for, right, that the healing kind of continues so that maybe they, they feel a certain way a few months after the, the session, but then when we check in with them a year later, they continue to make changes that uh, help them feel more alive and connected and um, that... Um, to this kind of, that, that whole, what you're talking about and this 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 uh, possibility yeah. that's opening up of.
0: Just from going through that gateway. It brings of, up an interesting concept for me, one that I've been thinking about a lot, just from the own, my own work that I've been doing of integration, right? And how important integration is after a ketamine experience or MDMA or psilocybin or LSD or anything like that. You have this moment in time that's so different and so profound. And then you come back to quote unquote, your normal self, normal waking consciousness. And then the idea of, I had this amazing profound experience. How does this translate into my everyday life? And it can feel like there, at one, one side of it, there's a lot of pressure to show that you're making changes right away. Like, I, look at me. I am integrating. Integrating is happening, mm-hmm. but I also find that it ha- can happen so slowly. And like you said, like a year later, mm-hmm. it's still continuing to unfold, and the integration is still happening. That it's, it's, it. Um, yeah, it just seems to be quite slow. It, but in a good way. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 So, like allowing the time for the unfolding that it all doesn't have to happen right away or can't happen right
0: away. So it's... Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That there certainly are the immediate after effects, but also just within it, if you have an experience per se, you know, just recognizing that it is this deep allowing of the unfolding that'll happen. That it's... I think in our culture too, we're so used to like the immediate changes and the instant gratification and high expectations. Mm -hmm that um, just allowing space yeah. for the integration to take a while.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of that, 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 the, the concept of the magic bullet that something happens and everything's different. And, 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 you know, there is part truth to that. Sometimes having this type of experience with one of these medicines can change things forever because we like, can reconnect or have this experience that changes the way how we've been looking at our life or understanding our psyche or consciousness or the universe and then there is this slow unfolding and changes that can take place over time and that um, yeah that, that's um, definitely uh, the case and you know sometimes i thing with with what we see when working with ketamine, that because ketamine is a is a dissociative anesthetic that has psychedelic properties, so in the dissociation, people feel disconnected from their bodies, and then coming back, there is almost like a new information and um, like a desire to be more alive or to be more. Uh, connected and being able, you know, like like almost like a, for some people, gratefulness to be here, like mm-hmm. a new appreciation of being alive, mm-hmm. and um, and we, you know, we work with 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 treatment of of people who are struggling with different issues and symptoms, and it is been so far that these, this this you know ketamine has to be prescribed by a physician and it's a medical treatment but kind of that, that possibility of, of using these medicines for not only healing, but as well, our growth and development and, and transformation, even people who don't have these challenges and struggles that as well, they can use these medicines and, and really shift their relationship
0: to um, the way they, they live and, and relate. To right, each other, and, and, that you don't uh, have to have treatment-resistant depression to be able to have an experience, uh, an out-of-body experience, a non-ordinary state of consciousness. That you don't have to be so low in order to get the medicine. That you could be well, and still benefit greatly from the experience.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Kind of a new. Mm-hmm. Talked about I, it being like an inherent part of our right to have these experiences and enter yeah. into these states.
0: Exactly. A rite of passage. Um, I'm curious. I have a question about glutamate. Do you mind if I ask? I've you know, I know that ketamine uh, produces glutamate in the brain, right? The neurotransmitter. But I heard that at higher doses, it doesn't produce glutamate. Is that true?
1: (laughs) So, um, you know, first, I'm not not a neuroscientist or an MD. um, So I think that that they would be able to answer that more accurately. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is this, you know, physiological... um, effect of the medicine. I have not heard about this being a different, a different dosages. So that that's, that's, you know, I don't know. I know it, it works on these glutamate uh, pathways and that it's uh, one of the ways how we understand the increased neuroplasticity that happens mm-hmm. after using uh, ketamine, that it increases the um, communication or the activity in the pyramid cells. And that when that's kind of repeat, the person's repeatedly exposed to the medicine, this activity uh, continues and these neural pathways are created. Um, so, you know, I don't know the exact answer to your question, well, but that's I what I had thought that as it, well,
0: that it, mm-hmm. that, that it did help to create the neuroplasticity through the, The you know through through the glutamate, and I hadn't heard that it stopped producing that at certain doses. I heard it offhand, and I was like, "Is that true?" I don't know if that's true or not. So that's why I thought I would ask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think you know we are trying to like understand almost like how these medicines work. Like, what do they do in the body, and which parts of our brain are lit up, and I think that's 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 part of the the experience, but I think part, like a big part of it is that transpersonal um, you know, realm or the, the transpersonal beyond the personal that we can describe by these things that we what we know how to measure, that we cannot completely explain and understand how does that happen and that it happens through um uh, these expanded states uh, where the healing can happen through an experience and maybe we uh, cannot exactly measure it like what happens
0: no you can't that's
1: why the healing (laughs) happens
0: (laughs) you can't measure those states you can't measure those states they're very personal and they happen you know inside of a patient or a client who seems like they might be asleep they're just lying there you have no idea really what's going on inside of them. They might give you little reports of the slithering and the spinning or the movements or the fractals of the image, but that's just their words for this undescribable state that they're fully immersed in, which is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, like you said in the beginning, the trust of that inner healing intelligence is really key. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah trusting that we don't as well have to know and understand kind of going into this unknowing and bringing curiosity and openness and welcoming whatever that is that uh, comes up in these experiences you know welcoming if it's something beautiful and joyful and positive and welcoming when it's something challenging and more dark and shadowy and and being able to kind of be witness uh, in, the, in the in the process with what is emerging,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. a sacred space holder for all of that to unfold, creating safe sacred space for someone to be so vulnerable in many ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: it's it's uh, beautiful too. Be able
1: to witness and um, invite people to go into that space, and that it, it takes a lot of trust to to go into uh, these non ordinary states of consciousness
0: because mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. they're so vulnerable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Veronica. Do you have anything coming up that you want to share with the listeners, or you know, places that they can find you, or learn more about the work that you're doing, or how to do work with you? Because now, I guess, if you're offering work online, kind of expands your client base a little bit. Not that you necessarily need more clients, but yeah, thank you, Marissa. Um, so.
1: Our clinic is called Polaris Insight Center and the website is polarisinsight.com. And we are providing training for practitioners, for therapists, MDs, uh, licensed nurse practitioners, um, social workers, uh, people who are interested in healing and using psychedelic-assisted therapy. And... um, so that's something what, you know, people can look up at our website. Uh, we are kind of going to launch a new website in the, in the new year, uh, polarispsychedelics.com. So there will be some more events offered. And uh, we are hoping to offer again retreats uh, for clinicians. And something we really are looking forward to uh, offering is uh, retreats for uh first responders and people in helping uh, professions to prevent burnout because a lot of people who are providing support as well, it's so important to be taking care of ourselves and there is not always enough space for that. And uh, so that's something what we've been developing and, and, and you know wanted to start and, and then COVID started. So we've been offering online groups uh we have a in California ketamine support group for clinicians, but really looking forward to being able to offer it in uh retreat settings. So yeah, that's, how that's, wonderful that's would to that come be in the new year?
0: <laughs> great. Yeah, great. Yeah, the beautiful thing about ketamine is that it is legal and prescribable and accessible now. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, well, and it's it, a
1: beautiful medicine. So I think that you know, looking forward to when we can use MDMA and psilocybin and you know other medicines like <clears throat> ayahuasca or 5MEO-DMT and 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 ketamine. I think will always have its uh, you know place and big place in my heart because I uh, think it's a very beautiful uh, medicine.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. Well, again, thank you for all the work that you do. And I really appreciate this time that you've given me and the listeners. And um, I look forward to continuing to stay connected to you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks, Veronica.